Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and I am back from vacation. It is good to be talking to all of you guys again. And today on the podcast, um, just going to be me, uh, but we have a nice listener submitted topic. And uh, I think there, you know, there's a lot of people out there that listen to this that are podcast listeners that uh, engage in other media. I don't mind, um, you know, if you practice a little bit of podcast bigamy, but um this was uh, actually uh, me reacting to a podcast that a listener sent me. Um, it's a podcast that I used to listen to. I haven't listened to for, for quite some time, um, but with a couple of familiar characters. And um, so we're going to get right into it here off the top. If you're looking for the podcast I'm going to be referring to in this, um, you can. it's the Bill Simmons podcast. Uh, he had Malcolm Gladwell on. Uh, very well-known author, author, sorry, um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, and they were discussing youth sports. And Malcolm had some pretty drastic interventions he was suggesting to save youth sports. So I want to go through them one by one and react to them a bit and, and react to them in the context of the sport of swimming, because that's what we talk about for the most part on this podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was looking forward to, uh, <clears throat> doing this with Joel today, but we just had some, some scheduling difficulties. So I'm ending up doing this one by myself. You're going to have to live with just me reacting to some of those, but I think there's plenty of meat on the bone with all of these suggestions. And, um, let's get right into it. The number one suggestion that he had was that all travel squads for youth sports should be abolished. Um, and uh, as somebody who is also a parent um, of a kid that is stepping into the youth sports world, my daughter is nine and, um, you know, we've just signed her up for quote unquote travel soccer. Now that is going to involve just traveling to other teams within, I think, about a 20, 25-minute drive of where we live. Um, you know, I this one really, like, he, he, he didn't hold back right off the top with this as a suggestion. And I think the implication for this, um, at least as I would understand it from a swimming perspective, are just completely impractical. Um, I think partially because... You know, if um, you'd be really limiting for the sport of swimming, not all places where people practice the sport of swimming, is it even possible to hold a competition? So you would have people that would just be excluded from competing on the basis of that they don't live near a place that is available to or practice at a place that, you know, hosts competition. But um, if we if we implemented a, a limited version of this, right, which is like, you know, um, high school kids, basically you can only compete, um, within, you know, a certain radius of where you train, like, you know, you could say you could borrow like some of the NCA stuff, like, you know, 50 miles or whatever. What would that practically mean? I mean, uh, for most teams on an LSC level, it would mean, uh, and then, then we get into some of this, the crossover crossovers in another one of these suggestions, but, um, 
you know, it would mean no, no championships um, at the LSC level for anybody. Um, certainly no junior nationals, uh, no, you know, um, uh, no, you know, us open. Um, I don't know what the implications would be. You probably would in, if you really could seriously considered this, you would, you would make a carve out for Olympic trials because it's not really a youth sports competition. Um, although, you know, for the most part, I, I would guess, um, that uh, a healthy percentage of the people that are competing in Olympic trials are going to be high school age kids, you know, youth sports kids. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't totally understand, uh, the implications for this. I mean, I think, you know, where he's getting at with this is that there's been too much professionalization of, uh, sports at a young age. And, um, you know, the, the idea of it being incredibly demanding to travel around, um, for families, for, you know, kids that are, that are pretty young, um, to travel around to competitions, um, is not really making for a healthy environment. And I can certainly see that piece of it. Um, you know, I think that there's maybe some room for, um, for, you know, it, it strikes me that we have a rule against, right? Like wearing a tech suit when you're 12 and under in a lot of places. I know that that's a, a local rule in, in, uh, our LSC. Um, although, you know, that turns out to be a total BS rule because we just changed once again, the, uh, requirements that the suit manufacturer. So the, had to make a 12 and under tech suit. Um, and I'm sure they're still making money hand over fist on those 12 and under, um, tech suits, you know, and, uh, but, you know, if you go to the intent of that law, which is you go like, well, you know, it's just too much what we're doing at a youth level. There hasn't been real large scale reform in, for instance, the way that we, organize competition at a, at a 12 and under, um, level or sort of the travel demands. Um, I think if anything that swimming has become much less local, um, over my experience, my 30 years in the sport, it's become a lot less local than it was and a lot more, um, mirroring sort of the greater, uh, youth sports movement of, you know, like we got to have competitions because, you know, we, we got these, we're basing these competitions sort of like, like we're all, uh, micro performance directors of, um, a local area. And you go like, well, you know, the best performance opportunity is going to be at this meet two hours away. Um, and I don't know that we've all even internalized that that's the decision-making process that is moving everything forward um, with the idea of some of the geogra geography around uh, some of these competitions. Um, and I would say this suggestion goes hand in hand with another suggestion that he has on there, which is basically no organized competition uh, under the age of 14. And I, I listened to it and I couldn't really understand exactly what he's talking about. He went on a jag about um, German soccer and German youth leagues that you know, are basically like at a certain age, you're playing three on three and you're 
doing these 10 minute periods and then you like move up to like six on six or seven on seven or something. I, this is the piece of this where I want to get a little bit into a critique of Gladwell because um, I like a lot of people um, really enjoyed Malcolm Gladwell's uh, books. I think probably uh, the first one I read was outliers. um, And that's probably the book that, you know, made him incredibly popular. Um, actually, you know, just having been in Denmark, um, I know that he used to write for the New Yorker. One of the quirks of the Danish, uh, uh, Danish summer vacation that I always took when I was a kid was, um, we would bring a year's worth of New Yorker magazines <laughs> somehow. I don't really know, you know, the, the, the specifics of, um, were we checking an entire bag of New Yorkers magazines? I don't know, but we, we, we would always have a ton of New Yorker magazines, you know, just for reading over there. And maybe that's where I got introduced to Gladwell. I think he's obviously a very, very talented writer. Um, but he is somebody that kind of like, in my opinion, he, he takes stuff and packages it up and uh, markets it in a really compelling way. But if you go beyond surface level with a lot of the stuff he's talking about, it, it really falls apart. Um, and it not only falls apart in the practicality of thinking of implementing some of these things, but I think it also falls apart in that you realize like, yeah, he just talked to one person and he based his perception of what was going on in one place off sort of one source. And I would love to see the evidence that this is like, a system-wide adaptation in uh, German youth soccer versus kind of a a more colloquial um, anecdotal, I should say, anecdotal report um, about, you know, like one local league or sort of one local area that is making this kind of adjustment. And by the way, do we even know the long-term implications of it? No, probably not. We're just kind of guessing and going, well, that sounds pretty cool. Um, that said, I do think that there is something to be said for changing the way that competition, like I said, I, there's something to be said that changing the way competition is done, especially at younger ages. Um, I think pretty much widespread agreement that, <laughs> um, you know, just in the same way that rent is too damn high, uh, youth, uh, especially young kid swimming competitions are just too damn long. Um, and they're just not right for, uh, the majority of families. And I, I, one of the things I want to pinpoint in this is because we're going to get to parents later. He has a pretty radical suggestion with parents and, and talking with, uh, other swim coaches this is a frequent frustration point is some of the interactions they have with parents. And I, and I just like full, full cards on the table. I have, run into a lot of parents that listen to this podcast. And I'm also a budding, I would say a budding sports parent. So I actually, I don't want to, I don't want to poo poo parents uh, too hard, not even because I'm pandering to my listeners, but also like, I, I don't think just like, you know, getting on here and ranting and raving um, is really going to help anything. So that said, um, if we come back to the topic of competition, I do think that some of the ways that we have set up the sport of swimming 
we actually probably filter out the parents that we would most like to have when kids are 15, 16, 17, when they reach that high school age and they reach the most serious levels of our team. And we, 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 one of the ways we do that is through competition. Okay. So if, if we expect right at the outset of um, swimming that, you know, like you're going to go from like just being like a parent of a young kid and, you know, you're trying to like uh, transition them from daycare to kindergarten and, you know, you're getting involved in stuff with school and school's kind of like, you know, it's, it's on its own, on its own path. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like, well, by the way, on your Saturday, you got to drive an hour away and we're going to have a swim meet for four hours. That is a big change. That is a big change. And that is, um, I think really, really challenging for families. And I think we end up with a lot of people kind of having to sacrifice some of their sanity, um, to keep their kid in the sport. Um, and you know, they, they go like, well, this, this, I don't really like this, but I guess this is how it is. And then, you know, when they get down the line in the sport, um, you know, they think they've maybe, maybe they think they've been promised something. Well, you know, I, I followed, (laughs) I followed all the rules. I brought my kids to all these, um, long, expensive competitions. You know, there's supposed to be a payoff at the end of this. And we're looking at them like, don't, don't do this for the payoff. Um, so I do think that you know, it's worth thinking about the way that we organize competitions for sure in terms of like, what impact does that have on the psychology of um, the families that stick with it? And are we losing people who, you know, are, are, would be really good culture contributors to what we're trying to achieve at a team? Because, at the outset, we're presenting them with something where they go, this is crazy. Why would I do this? Right. Um, and I, I just like, I think it's worth entertaining. And I, I, I don't see a lot of discussion about this in the swimming world. It's worth entertaining. Like, do, do, are we setting things up um, to get the kind of family culture that we want at the higher sort of more committed levels of youth sport. And are we setting that up at the outset or are we kind of filtering out and creating in essence, the problem that every coach will come and complain to you about? I think there's something worth thinking about there. Um, Okay. I want to get to the third suggestion of um, Gladwell. (laughs) He says, and this is bridging right off the parents' beach, says, how about basically no parents spectating at youth sports? And he waxes on poetically. I mean, he I've heard him talk so many times about his illustrious uh, youth running career in Canada. And um, I think it's obvious from listening to him, he's somebody who actually had a really positive experience doing youth sports. And I think that's great. Um, I, you know, that's what I hope for everybody <laughs> that, uh, that does it, that they have a really positive experience, that they have a really good experience. And, you know, but it can lead you to a bit of thinking 
where you go, well, this is how it was for me. And I had a great time. Ipso facto, great time. And I, I think that's where he has with this. He says, you know, like, I think, you know, basically my dad wasn't at any of my um, youth sports competitions. Again, the practicality of this, I, I don't like the idea um, of like mandating on some level, like no parents at competitions. I think that having that as a mandate um, would do more harm than good. Um, as somebody who has spent a long time advocating against abuse in the sport, I think it's a very bad idea <laughs> to you know, just excuse um, all parents of these kids from competitions. That being said, it is interesting and worth discussing whether we should be having a cultural conversation about, you know, parents attending all of these things. And I mean it from, from this perspective, um, in the same way that in that whole discussion of meets, I mean, part of the implied piece there is I'm going, yeah, these competitions are too damn long. And, you know, you as a parent, <laughs> you're going to be there that whole time. And that's going to be extremely costly for you. Well, I don't know that we need to have that as an assumption. Um, and I think, you know, it's more, it's probably not something that culture, uh, sorry, coaches should provide leadership on. It's something that I would like to see parent organizations get more around like, hey, you know, we're playing these games, these soccer games, or we're having these swim meets. It's okay to just drop your kid off. And like, um, coaches will take care of them. And, you know, here's when it, here's when it's going to wrap up and you can get them on the other end of it and encourage a little bit of that independence. Because I think somewhere along the line, it did turn into a competition like, you know, who, who cares about their kid the most. And, you know, I, I, I blame NBC for this and their Olympic broadcast. Like I'm convinced that they just did enough puff pieces where with some Olympian where, you know, they're showing uh, um, this, uh, this, you know, 20 year old who's realizing their Olympic dream and, you know, she's waxing on, she goes like my dad and he never missed a game and he was always there. And like, it's just filtered down into the culture that like you as a parent, like you're, you're bad if you're not at every game if you're not like all the way in invested. Um, and it's just another one of these situations where we've created kind of a lose lose for ourselves because I don't know that it's actually necessarily really helpful for kids to have, you know, their parents at every single thing that they're doing rather than gaining some of that independence of just being in a competitive environment um, and getting to like tell their parents about, you know, what it was like later. Um, and I, I think the other reason that I, that I would gather besides my blaming of NBC, I would say, you know, as we sort of pushed travel competition and 
higher levels of competition towards younger ages. Um, I mean, I know as a parent of a, a, a nine-year-old, like she, she expresses that she wants me at the games. She's disappointed if I don't come to a game. And so we kind of institutionalize and culturize that at the outset when um, the competition level is so high versus like, Hey, this is a casual thing. Like, you know, you're just going out and playing with your friends. You guys are going to do a little bit of stuff. Like, you know, she doesn't need me to watch um, her just doing something like on a playground. I mean, I'm, I'm there cause it's, you know, socially, but you know, on a playground with her friends, like she doesn't need, she doesn't did you watch everything? Like, yeah, she wants me to watch stuff. Right. Any parent is like listening to this going, uh, you didn't know that 90% of parenting would be watch this, but I guess the point that I'm getting at is I think we have institutionalized a little bit of, you know, that's just what you do. They show up and you watch this stuff. And I don't think that's, that's really necessary. Um, and I, I do think that, uh, youth sports competition would be better off if, uh, there wasn't so much social pressure for parents to attend. And I think it would take a lot of pressure off, um, the parents. I mean, it, it could, you, you could turn long, uh, sports competitions from, you know, a, um, a major cost to parents into a major benefit, right? Where instead of, um, you know, this is going to blow my whole Saturday. It's like, oh, actually now I have time to do all these things, um, on a Saturday because I don't have to be necessarily like be there watching stuff. Um, like I said, there's still a role for some oversight. I think you definitely have to work out some details with this. Um, which brings me to the last suggestion, which is let's just get rid of athletic scholarships. And of all four, I saved this one for the last because this is the one that I have the hardest time formulating my own opinion on. Um, I'm, I was very, very challenged uh, to like, I, I want to say this is a stupid idea, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And I, so I'll just sort of walk you through some of my thought process as I think about this. And maybe in the process of doing that, you know, thinking out loud here on the podcast, I will get to a good place. I mean, I do think that um, overall, like, it's interesting. We, we always assume as a goal, like for sport, or I, I think most people assume the goal is like, let's professionalize more. Let's get more money into the sport. Let's get a bigger investment. Like, wouldn't it be cooler if we were more like basketball or football or, you know, a sport with a, a multi-billion dollar um, professional league? And I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not, uh, I've become more skeptical of that uh, the farther I've gotten along in, in years and, and involved in the sport. Um, yeah. Would I like to make more money coaching swimming and what I like for my friends that are really dedicated to the sport of swimming to be able to make a better living? Yes. Um, at the same time, like when I, you know, it's like every, 
the the joke of every college swim coach is like, yeah, he gets paid less than, you know, the the linebackers coach by, you know, a factor of um of many. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. But sometimes I think about it from the reverse, which is that linebackers coach probably has a very, very poor work-life balance. And we have chosen sort of as a sport to go, we're going to mirror that poor work-life balance um, just without the pay. But like, because our goal is to get to there, well, we certainly can't then try less hard. Um, And I guess I would say, I don't know that, you know, all of this investment always has a real positive impact on the people in the sport. All this like monetary investment really has a net positive effect on the coaches, on the athletes, on the families that engage in the sport. So if you, if you reverse from that point, um, and say, you know, what are the downstream consequences of giving out athletic scholarships versus what Gladwell suggests in here, which is like, you know, again, these are these are very idealistic situations, solutions, I should say. But the idea being like, let's not give scholarships. If people need financial aid, give them financial aid, <laughs> right? But let's not be handing out financial aid on the basis of athletic performance. Let's still have college teams. Let's, um, let's still, you know, fund college sports. Let's still have coaches and, and facilities and, you know, travel schedules and all that stuff at that level. Let's just not have scholarships. Let's maybe even, I mean, it is interesting. Um, some of the discussion in here about, um, the admissions preference. Uh, I don't think that he's entirely right. This is another one of these things where I know a little too much. Um, uh, because the way that he, he describes the Ivy league admissions process, having been a coach at an Ivy league school, like that's, it's a, at, at best, it's a very overly simplified description of what happens. Um, because, you know, he's sort of saying like, you know, you identify all these candidates that would academically thrive at Ivy League schools. And, um, you know, then you're able to tip them uh, and, you know, they, they get pulled out of this other pool. I know for a fact that these many Ivy League schools um, <clears throat> get kids admitted to the schools that would never be considered otherwise by there. They'd be, they'd be, they'd be thrown out on the first pass by the admissions department because they don't have the perfect, you know, test scores and they don't have the perfect, didn't go to the perfect school and didn't get the perfect GPA. Like they're, they're not making it past the first round of cuts that any of these schools make in their regular admissions process. So to say that they're, you know, that, that the athletes are selected from that pool is just wrong. Um, and so it does throw into doubt some of the other statistics that he's throwing around there. Um, but on the, on the athletic scholarship end of it, um, you know, I'm not sure that uh, disinvesting 
that piece of it, the downstream consequences of that might not be good. They might be good. The part where I'm conflicted on it is like, you know, I, I don't know, uh, just wholesale eliminating thousands of uh, opportunities for kids that are interested in the sport of swimming to get some help going to college. I don't really trust that. And I don't really trust, I wouldn't trust that it would orderly work out. Like, well, all the kids that need financial aid would get it. Like, come on. (laughs) Um, That's just too idealistic for me. So um, that's the part where I, I just don't find myself on board. Um, There's a couple other odds and ends from this podcast. And I I encourage you guys, it, it starts at the like hour 16 Mark, um, if you're looking for it and, uh, I'll try to link it, um, in the description of this, but, um, he, he does actually have a discussion of Australian swimming and I really, gosh, if I've got an Australian listen out, listener out there, and I know that I don't have Brett Hawk, but Nate from swim nerd, like if you're listening to this and you talk to Brett, can you maybe ask him to, you know, ask somebody back in Australia if this is really true. Um, because Gladwell actually does talk about Australian swimming at some point in it. And he says that Australian swimming has a system for measuring physical maturity of age group swimmers and then resorting results based on like physical maturity markers. It sounded kind of wild to me. Um, but I would, I would love to get some more details about that. Like I said, I have a natural bit of skepticism because I, you know, I know he's kind of full of it on a couple other things, but, um, this is a claim made by Gladwell on the podcast and I'd love to, um, and if I find out more, more about it, I'm going to come on the podcast and I'll tell you guys what I've learned, um, through Nate asking Brett to ask somebody back in Australia, um, because that's as close as I can get to, uh, getting a direct source from Australia on this, um, unless I have a listener out there and then you should write me at swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com. This, uh, very podcast topic today was submitted by listener Sam. And, uh, so thank you, Sam, for doing that. Uh, we love getting submissions for stuff and, um, yeah, it's great to be back guys. Thank you. Thank you all for listening and, um, I'll see you again soon.